Welcome to Returning Home. I'm your host, Natalie Sapinski. I'm playing for you a series of recordings that I made this week, um, or actually last week, the week of November, I guess it was the week of November 4th, right? November 5th, covering the 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, and 9th, and 10th. Um, a lot of these talks were during my morning walk, and um, they're actually to a specific person who's going to be um, helping me. I was supposed to be in Florida at this time doing a series of events, a series of talks, and because of the war, I canceled my trip, and they will be playing my recordings uh, at these different events, and um, some of them are on my walks with a view, and they see the area, um, so I'm talking about that a little bit. But I thought I'd share them with you because some of this might be interesting to all of you listening. And I hope it's okay. I hope you enjoy it. Um, as I always request, please write to me and, and tell me what you think. And uh, I'm okay. I have thick skin. If you are not happy with the recordings, you can send in criticism. That's okay. Um, it's It's been hard here, though. And, uh, you know, it's it's just hard to even get a guest. Everyone is so busy. And... It's a good thing, okay? Everyone is volunteering. Everyone is pitching in, doing good here in Israel, helping our soldiers, helping our boys um, in so many different ways, as I've mentioned in the past. So um, I'll, I'll play these recordings, and I hope you enjoy them. Uh, I just realized something. I may have mentioned this before, and from time to time I do think about it. But when you're an Ole Hadash, a new immigrant here, and you're doing everything for the first time, and you know, it's a new life. Your children don't know anything else. So for them, their life and their experiences are not new, really. For them, it's just life as they know it. Just like our lives were when we were growing up. But here's the difference, and this is why it's hard for me to think about and talk about and it's, it's kind of a, it's a negative, okay? I, I, I consider this a negative part of being uh, a first-generation Israeli or a new immigrant. Um, and I'm sure every parent goes to this, wherever they are, whatever country they go to, because there are immigrants all over the world, right? There are even immigrants in America. But our children, that's an off-road vehicle that people, uh, the kids use here. Look at this, 6 in the morning, and they're doing that. The, the children here who are going through their lives don't have our guidance. They don't have the guidance of me, you know, the mom who's gone through these things before. Like I've mentioned to you how at a B'nai Akiva youth group ceremony, they always sing this B'nai Akiva song. And all the parents know it because they were in B'nai Akiva when they were kids. And they understand the, um, the different groups and the significance of them and everything, almost like I would understand it for a camp reunion or a high school reunion. It's that type of culture. It's that type of thing. So for that, Benekiva, I don't have that. But really for everything here, I don't have, new immigrants don't have, and um, I, I don't know why it just popped into my head, but... For the army, I, I guess. I was talking to my husband, and we're like, what do you think our son 
who's in Gaza, where do you think he's sleeping? That's what my husband asked me. And I said, they probably are in a bombed out apartment building and using that for shelter. Um, and he was like, oh, okay. And he just, I guess, couldn't imagine because he has not had that experience. Our other son told us he's sleeping on dirt uh, out basically in the desert. And before my son was in Gaza, he told us the same thing. They were just, everything was sand, sand and dirt, sand and dirt. Because um, they were guarding open areas down south near Gaza, which is, so you know, most of Israel's like this, though. Israel is, you know, one big desert. It's all sand and dirt. Come on. But anyway, my, my point that I wanted to share with all of you is because this is an Aliyah show and I really do try to focus on the, the good things, and there are lots of them. One of the harder things is that, is that our kids are doing things on their own for the most part in all stages of life for the first time. Um, and they are the ones learning the culture on their own, really without, without any help from us. Um, and you see it from very early on when they're in the little nursery schools and they understand what the teacher's saying and they know what to do and we're just sitting there not knowing what's going on I remember I remember showing up to the the um, teacher parent meetings at the beginning of the year and I would be there on time and there was one other family from Holland and that mother would also show up on time but nobody else did not even the teachers themselves they were always late and we would laugh. We're like, well, it's so funny because that's Israeli, you know? Never on time. You could say Jewish time. Um, that's a small thing, but just imagine now, during the war, you know, people are checking in with me and stuff and asking me how I'm doing. All these other Israelis have gone through this before with their own childhood, their brothers, their fathers, and now their sons. But they've done it before. They know and it's very um, lonely to not to not know. It's very hard, and um, not just to not know how to how to cope, but also like I don't I don't even know what to say. I don't really know what to say to my sons when I see them. Um, I don't talk to them. Only one quick email, quick uh, texts. Are you all right? Check in. Really, I, I don't know what to say. There must be some <laughs> someone who can tell me what to say to give them strength to let them know I care, but not to worry them either. Um, and just war. The war atmosphere here is is tense and it's dragging on. And you know, I was in Beersheba yesterday. And yeah, there was traffic. I was even in Ikea. There were customers. Not as many as usual. I saw a video yesterday from Tel Aviv and some guy was in his car making a video saying there are parking spots in Tel Aviv, which is nuts because there are never any. So he explained, like everyone's in Milloween. It's, um, everything's a little quieter. Um, wow. It's, it's, um, 
I guess, I, what can I say? I wasn't prepared. And uh, I have no, no uh, experience with this. When people even ask me, what's the news? You know, this isn't news. And that's another thing that's very hard. I'm used to reporting news, especially when it comes to our own rescuers, our organization, Rescuers Without Borders. We're medics. We're first response medics. So when there are catastrophes in other countries, yeah, I report it. I'm all into it. I know exactly what's going on from a news point of view and also personal stories. But here it's all, it's just so, it's overwhelming. Um, I was at Bangor University yesterday with my husband, went to his office, and the student center has a display, a memorial for all the <clears throat> people related to the university who have been either killed or abducted or injured on that horrible October 7th day. And um, it was just awful to read so many people, I don't know, 40 people, so many people, so, so, so many, and they're all their faces. And then in the um, another section of the student center, it's a really big, big space, they have this uh, almost like a campaign, you know, 240 hostages, and they everyone has a picture on a magazine. It's so the library, which is a mock library, a visitor center, uh, all the books and all the magazines have a picture on the cover of someone who has been abducted, and it's just, just so many people. It's overwhelming. Um, and uh, I know this is also going on in, in other places, in, in New York City and in, in different cities. You see the pictures up, and it's so scary. And, you know, I, I wonder, and I said this to, to Jordan, do they know, do the abductees know that the whole world is waiting for them, cares about them, misses them, wants them home? Do you think they know? And he said... Um, they hear the bombing. They see there's a war going on. I'm sure they know that Israel's trying to get them back. But who knows, right? We don't know. It's so awful. It's so awful to think of. And um, for those of you listening, I don't know what you hear and what you know, but the uh, the talk is that in Yesha, Judea and Samaria, where I live, and where... 500,000 Jews live um, here, you know, Judea and Samaria. The Arabs are planning the same thing. And um, just to continue on that thought and to tell you another side of it, the fact that our children here, first-generation Israelis, you know, children of immigrants are, you know, making their own way and doing everything on their own. It's not a bad thing, okay? It toughens them up. It makes them strong. They have to forge their own path. They have to be the leaders. Um, and I think um, there's something very good there. That wasn't my intention. I, I, I was you know, not thinking that that would happen, I guess, when we moved here. I didn't think that far ahead, but I know and in a lot of ways it's it's hard to not be in charge and to not be able to, um, you know, lead your children and help them 
but they will end up helping us. They are already helping us for, for many years in many aspects. I think I've spoken about this, but they are fluent in Hebrew. We are not. Um, they can read. They may not understand everything, and they may not have the sophistication of dealing with certain people and certain things, but they're Israeli, so they have a different way. And in sometimes, you know, their way works, where ours doesn't. We have a foreign mind. Okay, you can take the other side of that. In, in some sense, our foreign way works to our advantage because it puts us in a position of weakness. And, you know, a negotiation um, uh, sense that your opponent is weak actually gives them an advantage. But um, that's a whole other discussion. We, um, we see this, I see this, that our children really are on their own in many ways. And Israeli children are very independent. Um, I guess it depends on the parents, but they really just do more on their own. And especially if they are children of foreigners, they have to do more on their own because we just can't guide them. Hey, I want to say one more thing while I have everyone's attention. I know um, there is a lot of news right now around the world about what's going on here. And a lot of really wonderful um, people coming together. And a lot of bad people coming together. We see both. Um, there's a whole list of protests going on uh, to encourage and support Hamas and um, to kill all the Jews. It's, it's very frightening to see that. Um, I, I'm not frightened because I see that every day. But I, it's, it's really um, frightening for me to see this and to see my family, you know, and friends, who some of them are not very pro-Israel, so to kind of see them absorb this shock and to see what I've been seeing for years, like, wow, a lot of the world hates me just because I'm Jewish. That's scary to see. It's sad to see. And I don't, you know, I don't like to see that um, and to admit that, yeah, you know, I knew this already. And it looks like I was right. Uh, that's not something you want to be right about. But that's the truth. The world, you know, has this deep hatred for Jews. It's very old. And um, I guess it's it's envy. You know, I think it's rooted in envy. We are a, a nation that was built on, you know, sand, rocks, thorns, dirt. I mean, it's it's nothing out here. When the shepherds are with their with their sheep and their goats, what are those animals even eating? You know, they're like looking for these nubs. <laughs> it's not like flowing green grass. You've seen the pictures. I'll show you again. Um, and and we built an economy. We built an army. We built a um, government. We built all kinds of. You know, it's just an amazing nation. It's an amazing nation. Um, startup nation, we're called, right? I mean, but it's it's a very old nation and. It's just amazing, and so many different kinds of people here, and that's one of the reasons I live here, and that's one of the reasons I've always wanted to live here since I first came here when I was 21 in 1991 for my year abroad. It was the first time I had met Jews from all over the world, and uh, I was so impressed, and, um, and I was impressed with the Israeli. I was impressed with their confidence and their maturity, 
and their drive. And I wanted to be like that, and I wanted my children to be like that. And that's, that's really why I came here way back then. Um, but I'm telling you this, and I was getting to a point. My point is, one of the strengths of Israel, and it's, uh, it's, it's frustrating for, uh, for people who aren't from here, but Israelis are um, they're able to be flexible. And I'm not going to say to a fault, because it's not really a fault. But they really can turn things around on a dime. And what do I mean by that? They don't really plan in advance. Okay, if you go, oh, you see, now I'm against the road, you hear the, the noise, because it's like one truck. If you go to, if, if you plan a bar mitzvah or a wedding or an event, nothing happens like years in advance. It's not like America, where you have the caterer lined up, you have all this like a year, like months and months in advance. No, no, no. Here, everything is very last minute, and and even sometimes it's not even formal. Um, so that's frustrating, but but it, it works to our advantage in times of emergencies. Right now in Israel, um, since October seventh, you know a lot of people have had to go off to fight. And they've left their families, they've left their businesses, and the farmers have left their farms. I'm sure many of you know this already. The farms, this is the time to, to, to bring in all the vegetables and the fruits. This is the time. And the, the workers have left. They fled because of war. Um, the, the foreign workers, the Philippine workers. And um, the Arab workers aren't allowed here. I don't, I don't, I'm not talking about the Arab workers. I'm talking about the, the foreign workers. And anyway, they're all gone. Okay? Arabs and non-Arabs, all gone. And the heads of the farms, gone. So these vegetables are sitting here, and there's been a call out here in Israel for people to come pick vegetables. And it's happening. It's happening. All kinds of people are going to pick vegetables. Mommies and teenagers and old retired people are all going. And um, I think people are even coming in now from abroad. I, I, got a, I got a message yesterday, and I sent it out to people about, I think it's Leket, um, one of the organizations getting people to come here and pick vegetables, but you must stay for 30 days, you know, a 30-day commitment. Um, there are all kinds of volunteer, volunteer, uh, volunteering activities to do. Packing food, making food, stitching up, um, stitching up, um, madim, madim, uh, what are they called? Uniforms, uh, washing uniforms, um, Lots, lots of things to do. Also, taking care of the families that have had to be evacuated, babysitting, reading stories, playing with the kids, helping the mothers, um, and helping the old people. The old people who were living in those areas. Uh, I don't think it's been publicized. I don't know if anybody knows this, but there are a lot of older people there, and even like um, old age home type of uh, houses, homes for for many old people. And they had assistance. They had these aides from the Philippines and Thailand. They left. Or they were killed, okay? So these older people now are alone. There are lots of them. Um, so our medics, by the way, have stepped in, and they're operating down there along the Gaza border communities and stay road. We have um, already relationships there because we, for the past six or seven years, have been operating there. Um, we, we have a farm, a horse therapy farm. Some of you, Carol, if you're there, Carol's been there with me. Carol actually donated a garden in her brother's memory in that farm. Um, beautiful farm in Kibbutz Orim, and uh, we also have a shelter, and I think Carol's been here too, in uh, Kibbutz Nachal Oz. And now you maybe have heard these names because they're in the news. Nachal Oz, we have a big shelter that houses 50 people, and they even have like a special oxygen tank in there to keep 
um, the place aerated when they have to close it up when there's that many um, r rocket attacks. Uh, so we, we have that. That's like from some European donors we have. And um, so we, we have connections there. We also have been operating some uh, shelters in the city of Sterot. So I'm telling you this because we now have 60 rescuers down there um, delivering and caring for these people who have been abandoned. And we are able to do that, and we were able to do that so quickly because we already are operating in that area. We know who to go to, we know who to talk to, and we know, we know our way around. And um, it's pretty, pretty great that we're able to do that. It's a humanitarian side of war that, you know, I think a lot of people don't pay attention to. Not everyone left, and not everyone got to go to a Dead Sea hotel for a month. Some people were not able to leave. They're disabled, or they're just too old, or they're just too sick, and, and they didn't have to leave. Maybe they don't want to leave. Um, there, there are a lot of, you know, there are still 30,000 people there. So um, it's, it's so funny that all you hear in the news, in America news, not here, not here, but the American news is about these poor Gazans, these poor women and children. Well, do you think that war doesn't affect both sides? You know, we are the ones who are attacked here. We're the ones who are slaughtered. And we're the ones now who are losing our children to fight you. You know, I have two boys in the army. One of them is guarding missile launchers in Rahat. That's kind of, uh, it's outside of Gaza. And the other one is inside Gaza in the ground invasion. He's a Sanchanim. He's a medic, combat medic. And it's very scary. He doesn't have his phone with him. They weren't allowed to take them. We had a visit with him before he went in two Fridays ago on October 27th um, in uh, some woods near the base, 500 soldiers with their parents. And it was really awkward and scary. Um, you know, who, who prepares you for that? It, it was like jail. It was like a jail visit, you know? We don't know when we're going to see him again. Um, we don't know. Every day, you know, we get news of fallen soldiers, and it's very scary. I don't want to read those names, and I don't want to pick up the phone to a number I don't know. Um, it's, uh, it's very scary. We're alone here in Israel. We're first generation, as you know. I'm an, I'm an Oleh. My husband's an Oleh, too. We're immigrants. And we don't have any experience with this. So it's, um, it's very hard. We also live in a community where we live, as you know, we live in Susia. It's an Israeli yeshuv. There's like one other American here. Whatever. I'm not complaining. I'm just telling you it's not easy for anybody. And, um... I also wanted to stress that Israelis are very flexible, and it's um, it's wonderful to see. But I know that I was getting to another point, how 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 they can change so quickly. Um, wow, there was a point here. Okay, well, I'll tell you what I think I was thinking of. I, I took an intern. We did rescuers that borders have. We've been looking for help. We need interns. We need social media warriors. Okay, because I just can't do it all. It's a lot of translating, a lot of posting, and I, you know, I, I'm. I'm doing other things. So we found someone through a program called Ardvark, and I think it used to be called Onward Israel. And I think it's through Masa, one of these kind of um, organizations that find interns. Now, there were like 200 of them, 200 interns, they were in Tel Aviv, and I think they had another 150 in Jerusalem. Most of them left. There were 40 left. Okay, 40 interns left in Tel Aviv, maybe 13 in Jerusalem. And... Um, we got one. Somebody actually wanted to help us. And uh, they have these very strict rules for these 
kids. I, I say kids, they're 18. These are kids right after high school. And uh, one of the rules is they're not allowed to work from home. They have to work in an office. Now, our office is in Givat Zev. Givat Zev is a suburb of Jerusalem, okay? If you go to Ramot, you just keep going up the road, the Golden Meir Road, right? That's Givat Zev. And I told him, we have an office, it's in Givat Zev, he can work there. And um, I went to meet him. Now, it takes me an hour and a half. I, I uh, drove to Gush Etzion, left my car there at the uh, Rami Levy parking lot, and I took a bus into Jerusalem, and then another bus to Givat Zev. Took me an hour and a half. And um, I got there, and I waited, and I waited, and I got a message. Uh, it doesn't look like I'm going to be able to come. Our office won't let us go to the West Bank. But I will let you know what we can do. I was so angry. I was so angry. First of all, um, to use that term West Bank is, is ridiculous. What are you, you know? What are you? Are you like totally uneducated? No one calls it the West Bank, except if you're an Arab, okay? Or if you're following propaganda. This is not a bank of anything, okay? This is Judea and Samaria. It is the ancient homeland of Israel, Yehuda and Shomron. The only people who call the West Bank are people who hate us. <laughs> okay, so that annoyed me. But the kid just didn't know. He didn't know. He doesn't know. I, I'm sure once upon a time I also called it the West Bank. But it's just like hurt my ears. And then um, the fact that they're not letting their interns go where, that, where the offices are is ridiculous. So um, in the end, they told me that he can work out of their office in Jerusalem. And it, it can work out. And I know in regular times, that would not have happened. I know in, in regular non-war times, they'd be like, nope, he's working somewhere else. I mean, the kid was originally slated to work for some kind of music production company in Tel Aviv. And look, he's ending up working for Rescuers That Borders, and he's going to learn so much. I'm so excited. Um, but that's like a, the, a, a show of the flexibility. You know, when the situation mandates you need to change the way you're doing things and you need to you know be flexible it happens it happens here and um israelis are very good at that we have people here guarding our issue that are men that are you know very prominent in whatever field they're in they're in their 30s they're in their 40s some in their 50s um you only need to serve in milawim i think until the age of 46 or 47 and then even then they're not taking you know every single person in Israel to serve. They took, but they called up something like 250,000 reservists. So we have men here who are now guarding Susia. I think I told you this yesterday. And um, it's just kind of funny to see, like, you know, the head of, you know, <laughs> of some big company wearing a uniform and guarding our front gate. Um, it, it's great. It's good. Um, Lee commented, like, is that enough? Is one soldier enough? Now, we don't have one soldier, Lee. We don't have one soldier. In that area you saw, yeah, there was one. Um, but they are all over. There are, I don't know how many are stationed, actually. I, I think we have a team now, a, a big team. It used to be something like eight. Now I think we have, like, 40 people. And they're all spread out. Um, we don't see them. They're beyond the security road. They're beyond. So... I, I think they're doing okay, and uh, we've had one incursion. It was the few days after October 7th at 7.30 in the morning. We were all uh, alerted to stay in our homes, lock up, put on the shades, 
and uh, keep quiet because our security team was going house to house just to find who had come into Susia. And in fact, there were two Arabs from Gaza who did come into Susia and they were at the bus station inside the Yishuv and they were found by one of our security guys who's actually a farmer and he was there, got them and, you know, they were looking for more and didn't believe that there were, when they said there's no more, they didn't believe them, of course. Um, and it was like, wow, you know, we saw them going house to house. You could hear them. You could see them. We have a second floor. So I was upstairs looking out the window. I had my weapon. My dogs were going crazy. And uh, we saw the soldiers. We knew them. You know, we know these. And they do these drills all the time. All the time. Since we lived here, they've done drills. But this is real. This is real. And um, it turns out there were no others. They didn't find anyone else. And those two were taken by the uh, police, actually, to Hebron police station and uh they were uh, they, they there was a gunfight there and they were killed so um it is uh i'm not telling you it's a scary time but everyone is on alert everyone is carrying their weapons and uh everyone is kind of you know hoping this this uh hamas threat gets taken care of but there are no arab workers now and I and I really hope, I hope and pray, that the Arab workers are going are a thing of the past, and we use only Jewish labor, or non-enemy labor, in the future. And everyone, in Israel, um, I think everyone has learned we have an enemy among us. Just following up on that point, it is something that uh, people who don't live here may not know. But in Judea and Samaria, Yehud and Shomron, what, you know, that, that kid called the West Bank, um, where I live and where another 500,000 Jews live, and that's where, this is also where 2.7 million Arabs live, a lot of the Jewish communities, I would say most, all right, most of the Jewish communities, even with their fences and their gates and their patrols and their guards, in regular peaceful times, and especially now. Um, but I want you to know, in peaceful times, for the, and most of these communities were started around the 80s, 1980s. Slowly, in these last 30 years or so, they have allowed Arab labor. Um, and it's become acceptable, it's become normal. People have Arabs building their homes, people have Arabs doing their gardens, people have Arabs, um, some of them have Arab lifeguards in their swimming pools. Um, you can go to a big community like a frat and every day at four o'clock, the Arabs are you know, on the roads catching rides home, tons of them, okay? People have them all over the place. And, and big construction projects also, the yeshivas, the, the buildings, the apartments, um, the businesses, Big, big work here, and this is big business, okay? These Arabs are making a lot of money off the Jews, and um, they all need to be guarded. There's usually a Jewish, um, car, uh, what's it called, Kablan, a contractor, who goes and arranges all this. But um, now, since October 7th, all that has stopped. There have been no Arab workers in Israel and none in Judea and Samaria. And uh, there was a letter in our newspaper this Shabbat. A couple wrote in 
saying, um, we cannot let enemies in here anymore. For the last 30 years, more and more people have let them in and they have gotten to know us and they've gotten to know our community and they know our houses and we cannot let an enemy here anymore. Enough. I don't think that needed to be said, but I was glad to see it written in black and white. And um, since we've lived here, we've lived here about 15 years, almost 20 years. There have been three different times where a vote has gone out for Arab labor or against Arab labor. And it even um, was uh, differentiated, you know, Arab labor for public projects or Arab labor only for private projects. So that's where people have been, all right? They have accepted Arab labor because they see it as cheap labor. They don't see it as a danger. Now, since this attack along the Gaza border and at the music festival, I hope, I hope that people have changed and they see the Arab workers are a threat they are not to be trusted and we just can't afford to have them, I hope. Um, but it's something that when visitors come here, they don't seem to be aware of that. And when we came here, we did not know that. And there are very few communities, I can name them on one hand, that don't let in Arab workers. There's one in Gush Etzion, Bad Ayin. There's one north in the Shomron, I think Itamar. And there might be uh, another one, might be another one uh, in eastern Gush Etzion, maybe, maybe, near Tokoa. Um, but most of them use Arab labor, and it's awful to, to say, it's awful to see. We don't, my family doesn't, and many other immigrant families don't. But the Jews do. Um, they see them as cheap labor, and they even have said to me when I, when I ask them, who built your house? Were they Arabs? Yes, they were. And I was. I said, really? Yes, but ours were good Arabs. People said this to my face. This is um, where things have, have led to. And if you drive around Israel, the, the road workers, a lot of them are Arabs. You know, the bus drivers are Arabs. A lot of Arab labor. Now, some of them are Israeli Arabs and some of them are not. Okay, the Israeli Arabs work on the buses and they work in the pharmacies. But those Israeli Arabs, you know, do they have a cousin or a brother who is, a, uh, is living in the Palestinian Authority? You know, how do you know? Um, there have been attacks by Israeli Arabs. Look, that's just the way it is. They are not Jews. If an Arab becomes a Jew, then okay. But if he's an Arab and he stays an Arab, I don't know. You know, I don't know. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it was a big wake-up call, I think, October 7th, to a lot of people. And um, God, Hashem, is in charge. Not us. That's it for me. I'm going to log off. Thank you all for listening. Please write to me at natalie at israelnewstalkradio.com. I love hearing your comments, your questions, and your concerns. Please feel free to write. This show is to be informative. And remember, this um, 
this war affects everyone. It affects the whole world. So please don't be afraid to share your concerns. I can take it. We're all in this together, and, and hopefully, Hashem, it will end soon. Have a great week, everybody. <laughs>